Train, eat, repeat. The knowledge and know-how you need to live well. Here's your host, Tyler Ferrand. Hello, everyone, and welcome back into another week of Train, Eat, Repeat. On the docket this week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Aaron Horshig. He is a doctor of physical therapy out of St. Louis, Missouri, two-time author, and the founder of Squat University. Enjoy this conversation, guys. Well, Dr. Horshig, uh, first of all, I, I want to commend you for the work that you put out there into the world. Um, I came across your information like probably most people do via Instagram. Um, and then now, obviously, having written the Squat Bible, um, which I've read, and now Rebuilding Milo, which I definitely want to get into during this podcast. Um, you know, I just want to commend you for your work. Um, I think you're doing a great job for everybody. But for those people that don't know you, you know, one thing that I found interesting in the back of your uh, acknowledgments was that Simon Sinek is somebody that had an influence in your life. And so in that light, you know, what is your why for focusing primarily on the mechanics of the squat? And why do you feel that it, that's needed information for the masses? That's a great question. First off, Tyler, let me say thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. It's definitely an honor to be able to sit and talk with you today. And thank you so much for the kind introduction. Um, yeah, what is my why? I definitely really connected with Simon Sinek's book. Obviously, he's written a few of them, but definitely start with why was one of the first that really made a big impact on my life. Because I would say the work that I do really does touch on why I feel like I've uh, wanted to go into the field of physical therapy and then speak to people, uh, you know, through social media to such the extent that I do. And it's because I want others to be able to feel like they have someone in their corner that can help them do the things that they love to do in their life, which in my experience has been lifting weight. So a number of the things that I do through Squat University is helping other people move with better technique, decrease aches and pains, and I would say find their true athletic performance. And what that comes in my experience from is by moving well with good technique, sort of having a movement-based perspective, uh, having technique be the highest quality before lifting weights uh, or heavier weights, and then really understanding how to address injury the right way. And, you know, today's society, we're told every single day, especially if you watch TV for more than 10 minutes, to treat the symptoms is how we address pain. You know, you always see a commercial for Aleve or Tylenol and, and you know, copper braces and straps. And all of this is aimed at addressing the symptoms of pain. And nothing is really addressing the root cause. So there's a very different way in which uh, I believe we should be focusing on addressing these injuries, especially when you walk into the weight room, because there's not a single person that walks into the weight room. And I don't care if you're a professional power lifter or if you're just an avid fitness professional that doesn't deal with some sort of aches and pains. So we need someone to be able to ad address these issues the right way and empower us to do so. Um, and that's really where I found my why. So just to give a brief background for those who may not know of me, and all the work that I do. Um, I'm a doctor of physical therapy, but first and foremost, before I ever became that, I was an Olympic weightlifter. I started competing in Olympic weightlifting uh, back in 2005, did so for 11 years, uh, sort of ran the strength and conditioning professional route before going into 
get my doctorate in physical therapy. So I approach the field in a little bit different way than most do because most people who enter physical therapy field, while they may have that fitness background, they don't really have a competitive lifting background. So it gave me a different perspective than most as far as how we address and approach the rehabilitation process from any type of injury. Uh, most people, when they go to physical therapy, they're barraged with very easy exercises, very light therabands and two pound weights, and they get bored eventually. And especially if you're a fitness minded person, it can seem very rudimentary, I guess we'll say. So the way in which I started to derive this squat university, I kept on seeing these amazing athletes and I'm talking every field you could think of basketball, baseball, football, um, you know, amazing athletes from 12 years old to professional and even weekend warriors that were coming to me time and time again with these nagging injuries, things that, you know, weren't huge, tremendous, uh, surgery requiring injuries, but nagging injuries, back pain, hip pain, knee pain, shoulder pain. And during our evaluation, there was this one movement pattern that kept on coming up. And that was the motion of the squat. During the evaluation process, as a physical therapist, we look through at the body basically through a movement-based lens, not sort of looking directly at the specific area that hurts, but we take a step back and look at all the different things that could be contributing. And in doing so, we look at movement patterns. We see how someone moves and assess their, their quality. And in doing so, time and time again, again, I'm seeing these amazing athletes who are capable of tremendous feats of strength, yet could not perform a basic body weight squat with good quality technique. Time and time again, it was this deja vu-like scenario. And it dawned on me that basically as a society, we have conceptually rearranged our athletic priorities to view this squat as first and foremost an exercise, and we forget that it's a movement pattern first. I mean, as a child, through growth and development, the squat is something that we learn to move through to be able to eventually walk, run, you know, do different things. We have to be able to squat first to be able to help us explore the world. But especially in our society, we have forgotten how to perform the squat because we only think of it as something that we do when you're in the gym a few times a week. You know, you ask anyone, uh, you know, how often do you sit during the, in a squat during the week? And they'll look at you like they're crazy, <laughs> you know? But yet if you go to a third world country and you watch someone sitting at the bus stop, or cooking dinner, you know, they sit in a deep squat. So there's many places around the world that have not lost this ability. And I think because in the way in which we have approached this, and we have lost that ability, that fundamental ability to move well first before we load weight, we've created this bigger, faster, stronger athletic body, but yet is sort of broken and has holes within it that leads us to a limit our long-term potential as an athlete, but also leads us to eventually sort of have these nagging aches and pains. So my idea with Squat University was to say, all right, well, here's one movement pattern that I think is sort of fundamental that we have lost as a society, as an athletic body. And if we can put that back together and understand that movement quality through the fundamentals of proper stability, mobility, coordination. If we can put that back together, get people to move well first, it really sets the precedent for us to do so many other things, not only movement-wise, but athletically and allow us to reach even higher potentials performance-wise. So I guess sort of to sum up that long rant, my why, <laughs> my why has always been trying to help others in the way in which I wish I had someone guiding me when I was that 18-year-old weightlifter. 
to say, hey, here's some things that you can do right now. You may be in pain, you may not be in pain, but here's some things you can do to actually help you lift with better technique, increase the potential of what you can lift performance-wise, because as a young athlete, that's all we care about, right? But if you are in pain, here's also some things that you can do to be empowered to take the first steps to get out of pain. Because in today's society, again, especially the medical society, you know, we're so told and sold on the idea that we need someone else to help us through these things. If you have a sore elbow, you need to go to a doctor. You need to go to someone to get a cortisone shot or, you know, you need this strap. Whereas, you know, I love to use the analogy that I got from Kelly Starrett of Mobility Wad and now the Ready State. You shouldn't have to call an electrician to change a light bulb in your house. And in the same way, you should have the empowered ability to sort of take control of some of these aches and pains that we get when lifting. They're not major injuries, so they are not medical issues. They're fundamental human movement issues. And you should be able to have the knowledge, the wherewithal, to be able to take the first crack at fixing those things. And it just comes down to having education out there that people can understand because people love in the medical field to talk down to others. They love to throw out research and speak with words that others sort of look up at them and go, wow, you must be so smart with your doctor and all the things that you can do. Yet it doesn't actually create action because the people that are trying to get the information aren't understanding it fully. So yet they can't be empowered to actually create any change in their lives. So it probably benefited me to be the weightlifter first, you know, sort of the the muscle meathead and then going to get my doctorate. Because I know first and foremost how all these injuries feel. Like I've had back pain that's limited my ability to compete and to, you know, knee pain that's made me take a couple weeks off squatting and you just get so frustrated. But I can also speak to that weightlifter, the powerlifter, um, anyone who wants to walk in the weight room. I can speak on your level regardless of your education because my goal is to help empower you to get back to being able to do all the things you want to do pain free. I was just going to say, and, and obviously a lot of those lessons you learned from you, you yourself, you know, through First training hand, yeah. and competing. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mind shift, mindset shift mean then for athletes in the general population of looking at a squat as a movement first and then an exercise? And how do you try to convey that to the people you work with and then also through your social media platforms? It's just the the idea of teaching people that the movement quality has to come first. In that, you know, sitting in a deep bodyweight squat throughout the day can allow you to own the movement that much more. Now, the way in which I really like to convey messages through social media is by using other people as examples um, that actually do things the right way. So what I mean by that is like I'll you take, for example, Max Lang. He's a professional weightlifter over in Germany. And the man has just a beautiful looking lift, beautiful squats. And I've known Max for a while now. You know, we've chatted back and forth on direct message. And, you know, I'll take one of his videos and put it up on social media and make a commentary over the top and explain like this is pristine technique and it is move well first and then lift bigger weight and sort of show his warm-ups too showing that he's like not just jumping to a 400 pound squat like he's warming up with the bar first he's warming up with you know 135 185 pounds like he's making these small jumps because too often these young athletes they look at social media nowadays and they only see the highlight reels of these amazing athletes. They don't actually see the process of building great technique with, you know, just taking the barbell 
in performing a perfect lift time and time again. So over the past five, six years now that I've started Squat University across all the social media platforms, I've been able to connect with a number of, of great athletes that have that mindset. And then I really try to showcase that with the way in which I'm able to sort of storytell, I would say, across social media posts in a way that can help people buy in and understand sort of the process that I'm talking about. Well, and that's what I love because I feel like even though I'm I'm obviously trained in this field, it's one of those things where if I wasn't trained in that field, I would know exactly what you're talking about. And I would directly see the tie to how it could make my life better. You know, I, I would imagine that you're also of the belief that even if you aren't an athlete, let's say you're a weekend warrior, the, the ability to do a bodyweight squat has other health benefits attached to it beyond just the fact that you can put a barbell on your back and have good form, right? A hundred percent agree. Yeah. And the thing that I found interesting, you, you were talking about injuries and how you, you've sort of used sort of social proof, I like to call it, to sort of prove your point or to educate somebody. And one that stood out to me, uh, and this was a few weeks ago, is you had a, a young Olympic female lifter who had a significant injury to her lumbar spine. I believe she had a, a either a burst disc or a, a slip disc in her lumbar spine. And it was so bad, and this goes back to your point about doctors, that her doctor told her she would never lift or compete again. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm curious in your field, how often do you run across individuals where traditional medicine doctors have prescribed giving up a sport or not doing a movement to prevent further injury? Every single day. And it is the most maddening thing in the world. And I obviously, I probably see it more so because I work with a lot of weightlifters and powerlifters who love to lift heavy weights. And when they do get hurt, obviously, in the state of Missouri still, unfortunately, we still don't have direct access. So all of these people who are coming to see me as a patient, they have to first go through the medical doctor in order to get a referral script, which is a whole nother story that we could get into. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in, in that you know, method and route, they pass through a medical physician. And unfortunately, there, while there are great medical doctors out there, and this is not to slam the medical community, but there are many, many who are completely misinformed as to the long-term ways in which we can maintain health and safety of uh, the back of the body, even though things may not look great via MRI. And it all comes down to proper rehabilitation. And, you know, really, when you go through medical school, and this is uh, should not be of any surprise, like most medical doctors barely get a day, maybe, or uh, maybe a couple days on what physical therapy even is. So it should have come of no surprise that when someone comes to a doctor and they're, they look on their MRI and they see a bulging disc, you know, they start freaking out and they're like, oh, you're never going to be able to lift again. Well, rehab, you know, well, physical therapists, they do this, they do that. Well, do they really know what physical therapy does? Because they've never, unless they've experienced it, maybe they will go follow a, a physical therapist around. In my, you know, 10 plus years of being a, a physical therapist, I've had one medical doctor come to like our clinics just to like sort of shadow us to see what we do, how we do things. However, physical therapists often go shadow medical doctors. Now, often the reason for that is marketing. So they can actually put a face in front of some medical doctor and say, hey, please send me patients. But, sure. you know, most medical doctors don't really know to a great degree what physical therapists do. 
So the amount of times I've had a patient come to me with an injury somewhere in their body and the medical doctor has told them, you will never lift again. You should stop lifting right now. Yet when they come to me and do proper rehabilitation, they are able to lift once again. It really makes you question whether or not they truly understand what the body is capable of doing when you take a correct route. So this patient you're talking about, a uh, young weightlifter, uh, early 20s, just had a bad experience. And weightlifting overall is a very low risk of dramatic injuries. Unfortunately, she experienced one of them during um, a clean and jerk uh, during a national competition. Directly afterwards, her back started hurting really bad. You know, plane ride home was just unbearable. Goes, gets an MRI right after and shows she had a, uh, a herniated disc mild disc bulge on a L4, L5 joint. Now, doctor looks at her and goes, you will never do Olympic weightlifting again. You have the spine of an 80-year-old woman. Hmm. Okay, now this is a young 20-year-old lady that is pretty fit. Now, what did he recommend? Well, let's do a cortisone shot in the spine to sort of help draw down some inflammation, decrease your pain, and just rest. Didn't even recommend physical therapy at all. So, she goes by the doctor's recommendation because that's what we're taught as young kids growing up. You know, you trust your doctor. I'm not telling people not to trust their doctor, but the idea is that we need to think outside the box sometimes. And, you know, she goes around this this route and a couple weeks later, back's starting to hurt again. So she goes and she gets another shot. And again, back is starting to hurt again. And she's just tired of running through this route. She wants to get back to lifting. Eventually, she convinces them to be able to write her physical therapy script. She comes to me and, you know, we're taking a very simple movement-based approach. You know, the stuff I'm doing is not rocket science. And it's not of my own doing. You know, I, I'm only standing on the shoulders of the giants who have come before me. Dr. Stuart McGill, uh, Shirley Saruman, Kelly Starrett, Greg Cook, you know, all these amazing physical therapists and, and people who have, you know, spine biomechanists that have come before us that understand, give us a good understanding of how the back uh, responds to load, how this back finds injury and how we can actually rehabilitate it. And doing, you know, our movement evaluation, we found that she was flexion intolerant, found that she was load intolerant. We had uh, significant side-to-side differences in hip mobility, which again, if you go to someone for a back injury and they don't look at your hips, you're at, your wrong, you're at the wrong person because hip injuries, or now I'll say this, back injuries are very often related to hip mobility and hip stability problems. So if you only go to a practitioner and they only look at your back and don't ever assess anywhere else in the body, you're at the wrong person. And while those people can sometimes create situations where you have less pain in the short term, you're not often going to find lasting long-term results because you're not taking that full body approach. So over the course of, you know, many, many months, I think it was, we started working together this summer and, you know, just recently she's back up to over 60% doing full, you know, Olympic lifts, just crushing bigger weights and doing well and not having any pain at all. And it just goes to show that, you know, with the right approach, like great things are possible. And just because a medical doctor tells you, you'll never be able to lift again. You know, that's not always the case. Now, sure, there are going to be some cases depending on the type of injury you've experienced. But oftentimes, we can be much more beneficial and optimal in our treatment if we actually just go through the proper steps for rehabilitation. 
So what do you see as the answer to sort of move the to the idea that movement can be healing? How do we get there? Besides, you know, obviously there's the Mount Rushmore physical therapists yourself that are trying to get that right information out there. How do we make this turn or how do we educate people to maybe seek that second opinion? Really, it's it's like the way I've been doing it with social media. It has to be education to the masses. You know, when you uh, when you go through TV and you're uh, clicking through, you're going to see how many different commercials for pain medications or straps or braces and, and crap like that. You know, that's where a lot of people get information about how to address pain. Yet, I have rarely ever seen a commercial on TV about physical therapy. Not that we need to use TV as our medium because obviously commercials, I think, is a dying way of advertising because most people pause and fast forward through commercials nowadays. You know, we watch Netflix, we binge all day long, things like that. Um, But that's where I think we've been given an amazing tool today, which is the written word over blogs. We have listening with podcasts such as yours. We have, you know, visual, which is, you know, going to be all of your YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. I mean, every single social media platform, the idea basically is that we need to come together as medical practitioners, you know, physical therapists, chiropractors, athletic trainers, people who have this type of approach and just create um, a lot of awareness and education on what this type of approach can can really give long term because that's the only way that people knew first about you know when things hurt you put ice on it and you go to a doctor yet you know I think it, the more awareness and education that we create the more and more we can change our approach long term explain uh, to transition off your point of of sort of using the rice method the rest ice compression elevate mm-hmm. I've seen posts recently by you sort of debunking that myth and in that light can you explain sort of your approach to like recovery like what it is versus what it's not I find a lot of times coming across people that just have no clue what recovery does for them and also how to execute it properly yeah so most people when they are told to uh, that they have an injury or recovery wise. So maybe they have a sore muscle. They'll, they're told to use the rice protocol, rest, ice, compression, and elevate. This comes from a book called the sports medicine book from like 1978 and was written by a man called, uh, named Dr. Gabe Merkin. Well, that sort of sense set the precedent for how we acute or treat all acute injuries and sore muscles in the decades uh, past. You know, before then, you know, really in the in the early 1900s, people weren't putting ice on sore muscles. People weren't putting ice on things that hurt. Ice was typically reserved for like if you had an amputation or if you like severely like cut something badly and you need to stop the bleeding, then you put ice on it. I mean, think about it. Like if you fall down, scrape your knee as a young kid, was it, what's your dad say? Hey, walk it off. <laughs> Technically, yeah. that's what we should be doing. So what does ice do and why is it so bad? Well, ice actually delays the healing process. If you think about it like this, if you if there was a car accident on a highway, you need the uh, ambulance, the fire truck, the cleanup crew basically to get to the site of, of the crash so it can start cleaning things up. Well, when you have an injury within your body or you have a very intense workout, there is technically a damage that happens to the muscles, to the tissues of that area. And if you 
ice that area afterwards. It's basically like setting up roadblocks in the highway, and it doesn't allow the cleanup crew, which is within your body, going to be white blood cells like macrophages that come to the area and help clean up the uh, the damaged tissue and help spark the healing process. And what also happens is that you uh, you sort of trap swelling in and around the area. Uh, I'm sure many people listening have had sprained ankles before, and what's the first thing we do is we try to ice and we try to elevate. And the thing with um, with that is the thinking that swelling is a bad thing. Well, swelling isn't necessarily good or bad. It's just a part of the healing process. It comes along with inflammation. And when you stop swelling, it's going to swell eventually. The idea is that we actually need to evacuate the swelling and not just try to stop it altogether. Because if you ice and you stop the actual inflammation process, you hinder healing. And there's a lot of research that shows this. It, there's not much research at all. If you actually look, that says that ice is any more beneficial uh, than just stopping pain in the short term. It actually doesn't facilitate any healing, which is why the man who wrote the book on icing, the rest ice compression elevation article, Dr. Gabe Merkin actually came out in 2013 in uh, Gary Rhino's book, Ice the Illusionary Treatment. And he actually wrote the foreword and said, I was wrong about icing. Icing actually delays the healing process and we can be much more optimal by facilitating movement. Because when you move and you create this muscle pump, you're actually going to evacuate swelling. Because unlike the circulatory system in your body that moves blood to and from your extremities via the beating of your heart, Swelling only moves from an area when you have movement. Muscle contraction has to occur because swelling travels through what's called your lymphatic system. And your lymphatic system is completely passive, meaning that it does not work on its own. It has to be facilitated, and it does so through movement. So let's say someone has uh, an injured knee, and uh, things are starting to swell up a little bit. That person could facilitate healing much better by doing some quad sets, just sort of squeezing their quad and relaxing, maybe doing some light bike riding. If it hurts even to bike ride, you can put uh, a neuromuscular facilitation device, an NMES machine. And this is, for most people, this is like a Mark Pro, a PowerDot, a Compax unit. And it just sort of makes your muscles jump without you trying to contract. So it's sort of non-fatiguing muscle contraction. In doing so, it's going to pump good blood in that's got all the white blood cells that are going to help clean up the damaged tissue pull away the swelling out of the area so we're facilitating healing and we're not putting ice on the area to just numb the pain the body will actually have less pain because you're taking care of the swelling issue so a lot of times pain sets in long term because we have so much congestion and swelling around the area that's going to almost pinch nerves around the area and create sort of further pain. So for most people, when we're talking about recovery, skip the ice and actually facilitate with optimal movement. Now, depending on where you're at, it's going to change sort of what movement looks like. But for example, Gary Rinal, who wrote that book, and I urge everyone to read it, it's called Ice, the Illusionary Treatment. He actually has been uh, very helpful in getting these Mark Pro devices, which is one of the top line NMES devices that you can get into a lot of different uh, Major League Baseball clubhouses. So there's a lot of pitchers nowadays. And if anyone played baseball listening to this, you know, like when you're done pitching, 
you know, you ice your arm, you ice your elbow. That's what we're always told to do. I mean, I grew up playing baseball. I'd ice my shoulder, elbow all the time because it was sore. Yeah, me too. Yeah, really, they're using, they're getting done pitching and they're coming right off the mound and putting on these Mark Pro devices and they're recovering like two days faster than they would before. So it's really interesting, like what we can do to really optimize the recovery process from injury and just from heavy training, whether that's athletic events or in the weight room, just by understanding the importance of grading movement. What role does the the foam roller play? Because um, in the Squat Bible, it's mentioned numerous times. Obviously, since that book, um, you have the pneumatic boots. Um, you'll have hypervolt, uh, lacrosse balls. Uh, what role does myofascial release uh, play a role? Yeah, so foam rolling can be really helpful. It's a tool in the toolbox to help improve short-term flexibility and mobility and also uh, decrease for the short-term uh, delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS. So let's say you walk into the gym one day and you're just really, really sore from your prior stage training. You roll on the foam roller for a minute or two. You're going to feel like you can move a little bit better afterwards and your muscles will not be as sore. Now, it is not a catch-all fix because the way in which it works by most people's ideas nowadays, there's many different theories, is basically by changing your neurological sensation of pain and sort of changing the way the body perceives a stretch. So uh, it's not like a catch-all. It's not going to create these very long-term changes at all, but it can be helpful. So it has its place. Uh, You talked about like the pneumatic boots, like the Normatex sleeves. Um, Those are going to, in a way, try to facilitate the muscle pump action that movement would do. So like I talked about before, lymphatic system is completely passive. So the only way it moves swelling out of areas is through muscle contraction. Well, if you can't contract your muscles, you put on a neuromuscular stimulation device that sort of creates this muscle jump and that can help facilitate healing and just the movement of these these fluids. Well, a pneumatic system with the boots, what that does is sort of simulate compression within the body and sort of graded grades it. And then Normatech is a really interesting way because it sort of has stiffness and compression that'll happen at the at the foot and the ankle and the calf and the, the lower leg. So it sort of helps push uh, any of those fluids away or towards back towards the heart um, in a way that's similar to what we would see with normal muscle pump. Um, so I would say they're not going to be usually as effective as a neuromuscular stimulation device, but they have their part in trying to facilitate a little bit better recovery. And the idea is we would call this passive recovery because, you know, you can put these on while you're watching Netflix in the afternoon and, you know, actually improve or optimize your recovery more so than just laying on the couch. Okay. So in like stretching and obviously like consistency and training, would you advise people in the same light that besides the fact that we need to move more and move that lymphatic system, that the more stretching, foam rolling slash recovery that we do, the more benefits we're going to see from it versus doing it one day a week? Definitely. Consistency is going to be key. I mean, just like anything, you know, you do it once, you're going to get a little bit of benefit. You do it a little bit more, you're going to get a lot more benefit. Now, obviously, if you overdo things, there's going to be a limit on return on investment for how much actually you're going to benefit yourself from a recovery standpoint. You know, 10 minutes of foam rolling isn't any better usually per body part than one minute of foam rolling. So there's there's a limit. But 
consistency is key when it comes to things like that. And if you want to, if you're serious about recovery, you need to be doing it uh, more than just once a week. In the same way in which we talk about movement control and improving movement quality, you know, if you want to get a better squat, you don't squat once a week. Now, while you may not load that squat more than a few times a week, you need to be squatting every day because a squat is first and foremost a movement pattern. So a lot of these things, they, we just need to put into perspective how we're actually addressing the body. In terms of squats, because you look at them so much, <laughs> what are still some of the no-nos you still be, see being portrayed on social media or like the athletes you come across? Um, I mean, the biggest thing is I still see there's a lot of knee valgus that occurs time and time again. You see these, these just this collapse where the knees come in on the ascent of the squat. A lot of times athletes will see uh, these other extremely strong athletes and great, great competitors that have this knee cave and they will justify their own knee cave because they'll say, well, this world champion allows their knees to cave in. So it can't be that bad because they're not hurt. And really, it's a very, very slippery slope to go down because we should never justify an elite athlete's ability to do something to you know, justify our own <laughs> misfortunes and our own problems and technique because you know, elite athletes are there for a reason. And oftentimes, it has a lot of genetics to, to go into as they can handle that you know, long-term uh, stress and unlike most of us. And another thing is, you know, when you get a glimpse of someone on the internet, you're only seeing a snapshot of their training. You have no idea how much issues they've gone through and how many problems they're dealing with. You know, I've seen many, many elite athletes and they're also dealing constantly with small nagging issues. They just sort of push through and have a little bit more tolerance sometimes than more than you sort of your general population. So I would say that's the big one. Um, I still hear the myth always, you know, knees should never pass the toes. That's completely ridiculous. The knees can definitely pass your toes in the squat. It's all about staying balanced and making sure that your body weight spread evenly across your full foot. Um, yeah, I would say those are sort of the big things that I see every single day. What about uh, parallel versus below parallel? Yeah, you know, I, I do see that as well. And there's obviously some people, some well-known people that sort of perpetrate that myth that, um, you know, there's a optimal squat depth. You know, 90 degrees is the most optimal. And really what it comes down to is understanding what our genetic limitations allow us to do, our anatomy, and what our sports require. You know, if someone has the anatomy, they have uh, shallow uh, hip sockets. They have, uh, you know, they're not have showing a ton of retroversion uh, within, their, within their anatomy. You know, they can often squat extremely deep, especially if they have great ankle mobility. And that's not a bad thing at all. There's no research at all that shows that a deep squat that is performed correctly with appropriate loads increases risk whatsoever to the knee joint at all. So if someone tells you that, you know, squatting deep caused them knee pain, well, it's because they were squatting with suboptimal technique and with loads that were not appropriate at the time. And when I mean not appropriate, I mean that it wasn't optimal. So they weren't allowing their body to recover from such loads. But sometimes, you know, even the smallest mechanic problems side to side can go unnoticed uh, just to a, a regular casual viewer. You know, I've heard some people say, well, I squatted deep, but I had really good technique and my knees still hurt. Well, you may have looked like you had great technique, but there was likely a fault sometimes that was sort of unbeknownst to you because of the, your awareness or the testing procedures that did not illuminate the problems. There's always issues that we can sometimes bring out um, when it comes to 
um, issues like that. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, when it comes to the sports of – sorry if you can hear that. My dog is sneezing like crazy right now. Oh, that's all right. My dog um, was barking earlier. Yeah. Um, when it comes to squat depth, for example, um, you know, power lifters only need to squat to a position where the top of the hip crease grows right under – you know, the top of the thighs, um, a weightlifter, however, to perform Olympic weightlifting, you have to squat all the way down And the deeper you can squat, the more efficient you can be in the reception of your snatch and clean. So to say that deep squats are not optimal is saying that millions of weightlifters all across the world are not being optimal in their training and are setting themselves up for injury risk. Yet when you look at the injury risks to knees for Olympic weightlifters or long-term risk of arthritis, it's not that much higher than general population. So it all comes down to finding the squat depth that you're capable of based on your mobility and your anatomy um, in maintaining good quality technique and not trying to adhere to a specific set standard um, that you know one size fits all for everyone because there is not one. Well, and likewise, that a parallel squat can be just as beneficial, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like, it's all about what what are your goals? You know, if you're just trying to lift to get strong, if you're trying to lift to stay fit, there's nothing wrong with a a parallel squat at all. Okay, excellent. Uh, You mentioned sort of uh, some other names, uh, influences, Dr. Kelly Sturette. Um, I've noticed Dr. Stuart McGill makes it onto your Instagram quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of influence has have those people that have come before you had on your career? And how important has it been for you to sort of connect with those individuals? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was coming up as a young physical therapist, I mean, and I still do today is I'm constantly reading and constantly trying to learn and continue to grow as a professional. And I connected with those uh, people you mentioned because of the work that they had done, the influence that they have in their books and their research. And, you know, it really, it made sense. It clicked from not only a rehab perspective, but a performance perspective, because I had that weightlifter inside of me ever before I became a physical therapist. I knew the importance of of optimizing technique and how that led to better lifts. I knew the tiny details in lifting from how my ankles would affect my hips with a snatch and things like that. So it made sense when I was hearing these other people echo these type of things and allow me to go down their own rabbit holes that they had created in mobility and movement coordination and, you know, everything with, with Stu. I mean, Stu's worked on some of the, the strongest power lifters uh, in the world and his, the way in which he explains things, it made sense. It was basically like unlocking a part of my brain that I was like, mm, this is, this is where I, I knew I was something I, I was going to go one day, but this is really giving me illuminating the path of, of where I needed to go. So, um, you know, without a doubt, those people had a, a massive impact on my life and allowed me to, um, you know, really grow as a physical therapist. And the thing that I got so much from, from Kelly was this test retest, uh, idea. And, you know, there's, it's the most simple way of understanding whether or not the things that we are doing as, as practitioners is actually worthwhile. Can I do something, have a test, do a, you know, intervention, and then directly after retest, can I see a difference? You know, Kelly always says, I'm not a science or I'm not a researcher, but I am a scientist And my method is the test retest method. And it's so true is, you know, we have 
thousands and thousands of case studies that we have done, which are the patients that we have seen. And every single one of them has opportunities for us to test our ideas and and retest it based on the the data that we've gathered before and and to see real-time changes that the things that we are doing is worthwhile and can make significant changes in real time. And I think when you just see that time and time again, you are just confirmed over and over again that the way in which you're going about things is true and others need to know about it. You know, when I'm starting to show people like, hey, this way of doing abandoned joint mobilization can help improve your ankle mobility, which can help your knee pain. And I see this time and time again with people who are having knee issues that also have limitations in ankle mobility. Who am I to withhold it from the rest of the world? And, you know, I feel like it just strengthens the need to, to share with everyone and be like, hey, this is something you need to know. Well, it makes you a better practitioner and, and a champion of your beliefs and, exactly. and a belief system that, that we greatly need to get out to the world. On that note, obviously, you had the Squat Bible, which was your first uh, authored book. Now, Rebuilding Milo just came out on the 19th. Yeah. Um, what is the main message you're trying to get across in this book? So this book is all about injuries, and it's all about how people can take the first steps at addressing those aches and pains themselves or just becoming more educated themselves if they're going to go to a practitioner uh, to understand whether or not that person is truly on the most optimal path for helping them get back to 100%. So uh, for example, let's say someone one day sort of wakes up with back pain. Well, they turn to Rebuilding Milo Chapter 1, and they go through uh, a little bit of education education and learning about the back, understanding how back injuries occur. Then they go through very specific tests that they can do on themselves. Sometimes you need a friend to help with a measurement or two, but uh, it allows you to do different tests and uncover what is your specific reason? What is the root cause why for your injury? And then based on that, you're going to be walked through very specific exercises, rehab exercises that, again, don't require a lot of equipment or anything like that, that you can do to take the first steps to get out of pain and build back capacity and resiliency to be able to do what you want to do. So basically, it's me as a physical therapist in uh, in book form for every single person to put on their shelf. And my goal with it, basically, like I mentioned before, is I wanted to create something that could have helped Aaron, the weightlifter at 18 years old, who literally was dealing with all these aches and pains time and time again, yet there was not great information out there for how to fix it. You know, you were either like, hey, Jim, buddy, what did you do? I heard you had knee pain last month. You know, what helped you? You know, and that may be a good idea, but that shotgun approach could be a horrible idea because it actually could put you into more pain because there's no one size fits all to fixing pain. So if you, anyone does a Google search of how to fix my back pain and they, you come across a page that's like, try these three things. They're probably not the right things for you. You know, there or WebMD will tell you that you're dying. Exactly. <laughs> like there's just such bad information out there. So I wanted to create, uh, create a product that people could have. And there's basically the antithesis of what I do with Squire University. You know, if anyone follows Squire University, you'll see I post on every single social media platform multiple times a day of trying to show this content in video form or podcast form or written form. And this is just everything bundled into one package for people to have so that, you know, in the future, something pops up, they don't have to go search for five hours, they can literally turn to that chapter and start trying to be better at whatever injury that they're having. 
Excellent. Well, if you aren't following uh, Squat University, you guys need to do it right now um, because I'm telling you the education uh, that you're putting out there is is second to none. Um, and it's information that people badly need to see. And I, and I work more with the general population and I believe it's just as influential and important to the general population as it is to the athlete. So um, anything else for our listeners or where we could find you, obviously, besides Squat University? Yeah, I mean, just Squat University all across social media. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, uh, Squat University podcast. And then my blog website is just squatuniversity.com. Thanks for listening to Train, Eat, Repeat. Connect with us on Instagram at fit underscore ferrant or at traineatrepeat.co. Until next time, stay strong, stay healthy.